To live is to suffer. To survive is to find meaning in the suffering. If there is a purpose in life at all, there must be a purpose in suffering and in dying. But no man can tell another what this purpose is. Each must find out for himself and must accept the responsibility that his answer prescribes. If he succeeds, he will continue to grow in spite of all indignities. He who has a why to live can bear with almost any how. What alone remains is the last of human freedoms, the ability to choose one's attitude in a given set of circumstances. If someone now asked of us the truth of Dostoevsky's statement that flatly defines man as a being who can get used to anything, we would reply, yes, a man can get used to anything, but do not ask us how. Man's search for meaning is the primary motivation in his life and not a secondary rationalization of instinctual drives. This meaning is unique and specific in that it must and can be fulfilled by him alone. Only then does it achieve a significance which will satisfy his own will to meaning. There are some authors who contend that meanings and values are nothing but defense mechanisms, reaction formations, and sublimations. But as for myself, I would not be willing to live merely for the sake of my defense mechanisms, nor would I be ready to die merely for the sake of my reaction formations. Man, however, is able to live and even to die for the sake of his ideals and values. man needs something for the sake of which to live. The existential vacuum is a widespread phenomenon of the 20th century. It may be due to a twofold loss which man has had to undergo since he became a truly human being. At the beginning of human history, man lost some of the basic animal instincts in which an animal's behavior is embedded. Man has suffered another loss in his more recent development inasmuch as the traditions which buttressed his behavior are now rapidly diminishing. No instinct tells him what he has to do and no tradition tells him what he ought to do. Sometimes he does not even know what he wishes to do. Instead he either wishes to do what other people do, conformism, or he does what other people wish him to do, totalitarianism. The existential vacuum manifests itself mainly in a state of boredom. Now we can understand Schopenhauer when he said that mankind was apparently doomed to vacillate eternally between the two extremes of distress and boredom. Such widespread phenomena as depression, aggression and addiction are not understandable unless we recognize the existential vacuum underlying them. Moreover, there are various masks and guises under which the existential vacuum appears. Sometimes the frustrated will to meaning is vicariously compensated for by a will to power, 
including the most primitive form of the will to power, the will to money. In other cases, the place of frustrated will to meaning is taken by the will to pleasure. That is why existential frustration often eventuates in sexual compensation. We can observe in such cases that the sexual libido becomes rampant in the existential vacuum. The meaning of life differs from man to man, from day to day, and from hour to hour. What matters, therefore, is not the meaning of life in general, but rather the specific meaning of a person's life at a given moment. To put the question in general terms would be comparable to the question posed to a chess champion. Tell me, master, what is the best move in the world? There simply is no such thing as the best, or even a good move, apart from a particular situation in a game. The same holds for human existence. One should not search for an abstract meaning of life. Everyone has his own specific vocation or mission in life to carry out a concrete assignment which demands fulfillment. Therein he cannot be replaced, nor can his life be repeated. Everyone's task is as unique as his specific opportunity to implement it. As each situation in life represents a challenge to man and presents a problem for him to solve, the question of the meaning of life may actually be reversed. Ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather he must recognize that it is he who is asked. Each man is questioned by life, and he can only answer to life by answering for his own life. To life he can only respond by being responsible, the very essence of human existence. Live as if you were living already for the second time, and as if you had acted the first time as wrongly as you are about to act now. It seems to me that there is nothing which would stimulate a man's sense of responsibleness more than this maxim which invites him to imagine first that the present is past and second that the past may yet be changed and amended. Such a precept confronts him with life's finiteness as well as the finality of what he makes out of both his life and himself. By declaring that man is responsible and must actualize the potential meaning of his life, I wish to stress that the true meaning of life is to be discovered in the world rather than within man or his own psyche. Being human always points and is directed to something or someone other than oneself. Be it a meaning to fulfill or another human being to encounter. The more one forgets himself, by giving himself to a cause to serve or another person to love, the more human he is and the more he actualizes himself. What is called self-actualization is not an attainable aim at all, for the simple reason that the more one would strive for it, the more he would miss it. In other words, self-actualization is possible only as a side effect 
of self-transcendence. We can discover this meaning in life in three different ways. One, by creating a work or doing a deed. Two, by experiencing something or encountering someone. And three, by the attitude we take toward unavoidable suffering. The first, the way of achievement or accomplishment, is quite obvious. The second and third need further elaboration. The second way of finding a meaning in life is by experiencing something, such as goodness, truth and beauty. By experiencing nature and culture, or, last but not least, by experiencing another human being in his very uniqueness. Love is the only way to grasp another human being in the innermost core of his personality. The third way of finding a meaning in life is by suffering. We must never forget that we may also find meaning in life even when confronted with a hopeless situation, when facing a fate that cannot be changed. For what then matters is to bear witness to the uniquely human potential at its best, which is to transform a personal tragedy into a triumph, to turn one's predicament into a human achievement. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. Man's main concern is not to gain pleasure or to avoid pain, but rather to see a meaning in his life. That is why man is even ready to suffer, on the condition to be sure that his suffering has a meaning. To suffer unnecessarily is masochistic rather than heroic. He who has a why to live can bear with almost any how. There are situations in which one is cut off from the opportunity to do one's work or to enjoy one's life. But what never can be ruled out is the unavoidability of suffering. In accepting this challenge to suffer bravely, life has a meaning up to the last moment, and it retains this meaning literally to the end. In other words, life's meaning is an unconditional one for it even includes the potential meaning of unavoidable suffering. He who has a why to live can bear with almost any how.